Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. Baba Black Sheep, help me out. <laughs> Have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Three bags full. This is where it gets weird. One for my master, one for my dame, one for the little boy who lives down the lane. Baba Black Sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Three bags full. Okay. I'm a little teapot. <laughs> Short and stout. Dude, if you know it, here's my handle, here's my spout. When I get all steamed up, hear me shout. Just tip me over and pour me out. That's a great job. Yeah, hey, so clearly you might have had a mother who taught you nursery rhymes, so that's a good thing. I know I did a mother goose nursery rhymes. Maybe you're familiar with them. That's a bunch of nonsense, okay? What, what are nursery rhymes? I couldn't even read some of them from the stage because they were scary. I don't know what grammatically incorrect little rhymes we're teaching our children at such a young age, but they're scary, and we should probably stop, okay? But I had a mother like you, and uh, she's the best. She's here today. How about a little hand for my mom? I, I, you know, I'm going to do that. She hates that. She does not care for that at all, but I'm going to do it anyways. So here's a picture. I was looking for a picture of my mother uh, teaching me how to read nursery rhymes, and I couldn't find one. I have one, though, so that's me reading some, some nursery rhymes. And why do you think I can't find one with my mom in it? Because who's always taking the pictures, mom? Yeah, exactly, right? So, so my mom's probably taking the picture. There I am in their bed uh, reading some rhymes and tales and nursery rhymes. But uh, we love moms. We love all the moms, all of the women who sacrifice so much. We've given you a hand, but you deserve all the hands in the world. So how about another hand for all the mothers in the room, all the mothers joining online. We love you all. Uh, it's an exciting day, and we're glad that you could be here to— uh, celebrate with us. And so how about one more? Okay, one more, and I want you to remember it. Okay, ready? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. That's right. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten a phone call on a random day at a random time, that when the voice on the other end of the line told you the news, your whole life was changed in a moment. Anyone gotten a call like that before? You can relate. Now typically with phone calls like these, the news that you have just received from the voice on the other line is typically not good news. And yet there is nothing that you can do to change it. The accident has already happened. The decision has already been made. The fate has already been sealed. It happened. It's decided. And it's over. And in that moment, you are then left to decide for yourself how you are going to respond to the tragedy that has just shaken up your whole world. Your mind is sent into a spiral as you begin to try and figure out how you're going to pick up the pieces of your life. And the only answer you want in that moment is how. How am I ever going to put my life 
back together again. That's what it's like to get bad news. And what do we do when we get bad news? What do we do when we're faced with the tragedies in life? How are we supposed to deal with the fact that the world that we live in is clearly not the way that it's supposed to be? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, let me take the opportunity just to introduce myself. Hello, everyone. My name is Cooper Young. I get to serve as the associate pastor here. And if it's your first time, we are so very glad that you came here. Uh, We know that Mother's Day is a time when maybe your mom, that's the one day when she's going to drag you to church, and we're glad that you came with her, okay? That's a nice thing for your mother to do, and uh, we're glad that you're here, and uh, we hope this is an encouraging day for you. It's exciting because it is Mother's Day. It's exciting because there's new people in the room, but I'll tell you what, today is also a super exciting for our church family, so you picked a great day to come. Today is the day when we are actually going to roll out our new vision statement for our church our new Crossroads Community Church vision statement. And that's, that's a really big deal. So uh, before I tell you what it is, let me just explain quick a little bit about what a vision statement is. How does it act? Why do we have one? So a vision statement, that's kind of like a North Star or a guiding light that is constantly pointing a group of people in a direction that they want to go, in a direction in which they want to grow, to become a place that they want to become. And ultimately, how that group, that community, that people is looking to change the world. And so we sat down as a staff a couple of months ago, and we began workshopping and trying to figure out what are the things that we see in the world right now that we feel like the world is missing? What are the things that we as a church want to be known for? What are the things that we believe Jesus has called to as a local body of believers, and how do we orient ourselves towards that vision? And so we threw out a bunch of ideas. We put a a bunch of different statements together. We edited them. We workshopped them, revised them, did different words. And then finally, we got a statement that we as a staff agreed on. And we brought that statement to the elders, and then they gave their input and their edits, and then we changed it around some more. And then finally, we as a leadership team here at Crossroads Community Church came up with this vision statement. Proverbs 28, 19 says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the teaching. Which is to say that if we all buy into this vision, if we all buy into the vision that we as a church have come up with, that we believe God has called us to as a church, then this is going to be a place that honors and glorifies God. But understand this. When I show you this vision statement in a second, you got to know, We are never going to fully arrive at this place. There are always going to be ways that we can do better. There are always going to be ways that we can get better at doing whatever this statement is. But what you're going to see is that this is our pursuit. That's why it's our vision. And because over time, the vision is hopefully only going to become clearer and clearer. And so this is what we've been building up to over the past couple of weeks of, as we've been going through Heart Eyes. Because really, we need to understand why we have to see life through a lens of love for this vision statement to work. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the statement, okay? And then I'm going to read it out loud. 
And then over the next three weeks, we're going to go through this new vision series where we are going to break the vision statement down into three sections and talk about why each one matters and what each one means for us as a church. Okay? So the series is going to be called Love God and Love Others. Okay? So, who wants to see the new vision statement? Anyone? Anyone excited about that? Okay, I'm not going to make you do a drum roll, but, but if you want to, no, I'm kidding. So, all right, without further ado, Crossroads Community Church's new vision statement going forward is as follows. In a broken world, we exist to love God and to love others as Jesus has loved us. See, this is the kind of statement that for me, kind of coming in being new here over the past two years, and then thinking about what, what do I want to see? What do I feel like God wants to see from Crossroads? So that Lord willing, 40 years from now, if I'm still blessed to call Crossroads home, that I can truthfully say that we have done nothing but get better and better at existing in a broken world where we have gotten better at loving God and better at loving others as Jesus has loved us. That's, that would make me so happy, okay? And so let's break it down. Because today we're going to talk about the first statement, if you will. In a broken world, we exist. That sounds very Yoda, okay? So I get it. That's not super grammatically correct there, right? And so if you wanted to state it another way, you could say that we exist in a broken world. This is our reality. We are reminded of it all the time. We are reminded of it in our relationships with those that we love when they hurt us. We are reminded of it when we turn on the news and see another act of terrorism, another war, another scandal, another natural disaster. We're reminded of it when we scroll through social media and we see nothing but venom and hate that exists between so many different kinds of people. And we're reminded of it when we pick up the phone on a random day, at a random time, and we get bad news. Bad news that a test result came back and it's not good. Or when they tell us that a loved one has been in a serious accident, or even worse, has passed away. See, I don't think I need to convince you that we live in a broken world. We can all see that very clearly all the time. In fact, it's one of those things that no matter where you go, who you are, what you believe, the majority of the people in the world agree that there must be a better version of what we experience on a daily basis. And people's negative views of this world in which we live only increases year after year. But we here at Crossroads, we as followers of Jesus, as a local body of believers, we want to see the world differently, and we can. And Jesus' apostle of love, John, wrote the letter that we've been going through, 1 John, which is helping us to do just that. And so the passage for today comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If you've got a Bible, you can flip open there super quick. It's three verses. If you've got a phone, a couple of taps on there, that'll get you right there. If you have neither, we'll have it up here on the screen. So here we go. 1 John 2, verses 15 
to 17. It says this. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So for my wife Julia and I, this actually just happened to us two weeks ago. Two Sundays ago. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was a random Sunday at a random time in the afternoon. And Julia got a call from her mother. And the first thing her mother said to her was, Are you home alone? Is Cooper home? She said yes. But you could already tell from her voice that something was wrong, that she was scared, that she was sad, and that this was bad. And so what had happened was Julia's dad, my father-in-law Bill, had gotten in a kiteboarding accident down by their house in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you don't know what kiteboarding is, it's when your feet are on a board and you have this kite that's pulling you through the ocean based on the wind. So basically, he got taken by the wind into the beach, and he crushed his pelvis in four places, he broke a bunch of his ribs, went unconscious, had a collapsed lung. He was in really bad shape. And all we kind of heard on the phone was like, her mom being scared and trying to assure us it was okay. Her dad kind of grumbled some stuff into the phone. He had a chest tube. It was bad. And he was going to have a really hard surgery coming up within the next couple days. And so Julia and I, we got on a flight to Tampa that Monday night. And so we get down there, and we spend the next week in the ICU. And the ICU is one of those places where the brokenness of this world is on full display. From what you're hearing, to what you're smelling, to what you're feeling, to what you're seeing, everything is pointed towards sickness, destruction, disease, and death. And it's sad. And, and this isn't just a picture of the brokenness of the world. This is our reality. This is the world that we live in. This is the broken world in which we exist. It's broken. And Bill, just like Julia, just like her mom, just like myself, just like any of you would do in a time like that, maybe you've done it already yourself. We were all doing what people do when they are reminded of the broken nature of this world that we live in, we ask the question, why? If you believe in God, if you believe in a God, you might be asking the question, why God? Why did you let this happen to me? Why is this happening? Why is this world so messed up? And I'm sure you've asked the question, why? Yourself, we all do. Why? Because there is something in us, something in our spirit, something in our soul that sees suffering, that feels the brokenness of this world, and knows that things are not the way that they should be. 
So then our question, why, is quickly followed by our next question, how? Why'd this happen? Why me? Why is there suffering? And how did this happen? How did I get here? And how do I fix this? In a broken world, we exist. And we've all been there. We've all been reminded that this world is not right. We've all seen with our eyes, felt in our hearts, and have been victims of the cruelties that are so prevalent in such a messed up world. And it feels like all we're left to do in those moments is question. So let me ask the first question. How did we get here? So there is a God, and God created all of life. He is the creator of life. He is the author of life. Everything that God does is for the sake of producing, promoting, and preserving life. This is what God does. And so when God created everything, when God created the world, he filled the world with life. Everything we see and love and know today, God created, and it was all for the sake of life, to bring him glory. And when he filled it with life, he also filled it with man. And within man is life. This is the Statue of Liberty, okay? We're in New York, just go with it. All right, so this is man for the day. And, and he filled the world with man. And everything that God had created was perfect. It was all good. It was all glorifying to him. But then man, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, chose to turn their backs on God. They chose to try and be like God themselves when they disobeyed God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why they do that? They wanted to be like God. And when they disobeyed the word of God, sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, it broke the world. And when sin broke the world, with it came sin. And sin entered the world, and so did disease and destruction, and wars, broken relationships, and death. And when sin entered the world and broke the world, it didn't just break the world, but it also broke man. And so we were broken. And this is a sad story. This is bad news. And this is the kind of thing that causes us as people to question and to ask the question, why? We're broken. Our relationships, our thoughts, our motivations, our intentions, our sense of self-worth, our view of God, our hearts, our minds, our souls, we're all broken. And when you're left looking at the broken pieces of this world, you feel so small because you have no idea. How can any person put all of those pieces back together? And when you take broken people 
what you find is just like any other broken thing, they have sharp edges. And so no one really wants to get close to one another now because they're afraid of getting cut, of getting hurt. And so now just to be in a relationship with another person requires risk. And we're actually tricked into feeling like being isolated and being alone is safer and better. And loneliness is a fast way to die. God always brings about life, and sin always brings about death. This is a sad story. What do we do when we receive bad news? We question, we ask why. Now see, the biggest reason I have ever heard for so many people walking away from faith never giving faith a chance, not being able to believe in God, is because suffering in this world is more clear to them than the goodness of God. And they can't see how an all-good and all-powerful God could allow such evil. But then there are also those who have walked through suffering with God. And to them, it is the reason why their faith is so untouchable. It's the reason why some have found faith in the first place. And so here's a couple of questions that boil to the surface when we talk about the brokenness of the world, when we talk about suffering, when we talk about this problem of evil. Is suffering just or is it unjust? Now I heard Tim Keller speak about this once. I thought it was insightful. And he described it by explaining how the, the Eastern religions and the Eastern belief systems, when they try and answer this question like karma and Buddhism, they would say suffering is just. Welcome it. You deserve it. It's fair. The Western world, on the other hand, things like secularism, postmodernism, they would say when it comes to suffering, it's unjust. So do whatever you can to remove it or avoid it at all costs. Maybe that sounds relatable to you. That's kind of the world that we're living in. And the answer, though, for followers of Jesus is much more nuanced because of what we see in the Word of God. So when we ask the question, is suffering just or unjust, what's our answer? Yes. Why? Because we talked about how God did not create the world with sin. He did not create it with death. He did not create it with suffering. But we as people chose to turn our backs on God. We chose to welcome sin into the world and into our lives by trying to be like God. And so it's just in the one sense because we're getting what we deserve for disobeying God. But then you look at a book like the book of Job, where Job has done everything right according to God's word, and yet God is allowing Satan to make his life miserable. He's having a horrible life, and God is allowing it to happen, and it's unjust and Job's friends, though, they claim that Job must be living a horrible life, and that's why horrible things are happening to him. And that's not the case. And at the end, God condemns Job's friends for thinking that way, and then he rewards Job for his faithfulness in the face of suffering. Is suffering just or is it unjust? Yes. Here's another question. How should we then respond to suffering and brokenness in this world? Should we just scream and cry and get angry at God and people? Or should we just trust God and believe that he can bring good out of evil? Which is it? The answer 
is yes. That's what we see all throughout the book of Psalms. That God knows that we are angry and he too is angry with us at sin. He hates it. He hates seeing us suffer. He hates seeing us broken. He wants you to bring those things to him in prayer and also fight against the injustice in this world actively. And that's why our answer to the problem of suffering and injustice and the brokenness in this world that we exist is Jesus. See, because of Jesus, we can know that our God is not just sovereign and he's not just suffering. That he's both sovereign and suffering. And so what do I mean by that? When God is sovereign, right, God is in control. That he is all-powerful, that he is almighty, that he knows everything that's going to happen. That he's working all things together for the good of those who serve him and are called according to his purposes, who love God. But, but God is also suffering, and we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it meant to be betrayed, to be abandoned, to get the call at a random time, at a random day, on a random day, that one of his best friends had passed away. He knew what it was to be beaten unjustly. He knew what it was to be nailed to the cross and to hang there in the wind, his body searing in pain, Jesus suffering. And he wasn't doing it with a smile on his face. Instead, Jesus cries out into the wind, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why? And Jesus knew the answer. He knew why. It doesn't mean that when you're so feeling the effects of suffering that you don't still question, that you still don't ask why, that the pain of this world doesn't make you cry out. And let me tell you this, Jesus, he knew suffering, he knew injustice like we never will. Because Jesus never turned his back on God. He never deserved to feel the effects of sin, but he did. So that God could both be sovereign, but also suffering. So you and I could find forgiveness and healing and wholeness. That God saw us and he sees you in the brokenness of this world in which we exist. He's looking at you. He's looking at us in all of the pieces. He sees us with our sharp edges and our insecurities of feeling like we can never be made whole. And he sent Jesus so that he could be broken in our place to make a way for us to be put back together again. And so I already mentioned, so, so Julia's dad, Bill, his pelvis was broken in four places, his ribs were all crushed, his tailbone was crushed, collapsed lung, and he's just laying there in the bed in what he would describe as his lowest of lows. He could feel the bones in his body floating around. His entire midsection was gone, and he was stuck in that moment, helpless. He was disconnected. Without someone else coming in and putting his whole self back together, he was just going to be broken for the rest of his life. And then he goes in for surgery. And it's not like he could help with the surgery. All he could do is say, yes, I would like the surgery. Please put me back together. And the surgeon went in, 
and they put a big metal plate across his pelvis, and they put screws all through his hips, and they put Bill back together. And when he woke up, he was a new person. Over and over again, he just kept saying, everything is tighter. They put me back together. I'm good as new. And Bill is still a long way from recovering fully, but now he at least has hope and he knows that he will. And he just keeps telling everyone, I was like Humpty Dumpty. I was like Humpty Dumpty. I had a great fall. But he put me back together. This surgeon put me back together. And so just like Bill, just like Humpty Dumpty, our world, all of us, we have had a great fall. And because of the great fall in the beginning in Genesis 3, our world, our bodies, our souls, our relationships with others, our relationship with God was broken. Maybe you still feel broken today. Maybe your relationships with one of your loved ones is still broken today. Maybe your relationship with God is still broken today. There is a way to be put back together again. There is a way to be held together. There is a person who can put us back together so that we can find healing, wholeness, and togetherness. And you cannot find that way or that person in the world. It's like Humpty Dumpty says, it's not by the king's horses and it's not by the king's men. They can't put Humpty back together again. We need the king. That's why John tells us not to love this world. When he uses the word world in this passage, he's not talking about like the actual creation or the creatures. He's not talking about the earth or the people. He's talking about the world or this world system that Satan is driving forth, this realm of sin that we exist in. And he gives us three things that will keep us in that world, or that will cause us to fall in love with that world, or make us look to that world to try and find wholeness. Three things. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Let's talk about this super quick. The lust of the flesh. These are these sinful pleasures that we have within our reach. These are the sins that we are constantly tempted by, that we can have here and now, that will make us believe that the way that we are living is sufficient for meeting our own needs. An overindulgence in food, or alcohol, or sleep, cheating on our taxes, cheating on tests, cheating on our spouses, drugs, our phones, social media, or entertainment. All of these things that are within our reach that can constantly lead us or be sin themselves. The second one, the lust of the eyes. These are the things that we can see, but can't necessarily have immediate access to. So we begin to orient our lives towards attaining that thing. It becomes our most important priority. It becomes our number one love in life. They're the things that we believe that if we can get them, that we will be or feel like God. They will be our security. Rather than moving closer to God, they pull us further away from Him. My first sports car, 
a bigger house, a higher paying job. These aren't necessarily sinful things in and of themselves, but they become that way when they take the place of God. And then the last one is this, the pride of life. This is the idea that simply you don't need God, or that you can be your own God. All three of these things, these are what Satan used to cause Adam and Eve to fall in the garden. And it is what he continues to use to keep all of us in this broken world, this fallen world. Why? Because they all work together to take our attention away from the one who can put us back together again. And what's even more sad is that all of those distractions that we can chase after, none of them last. But choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to run with God with your whole self and surrender to him, those are the ones that last forever. Those are the people who live forever. So let me ask you today. Are you broken? Are you broken on the outside? Are you broken on the inside? Is your heart broken? Is your soul in pieces? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to, like Bill, be put back together again? The things of this world cannot give that to you. We exist in a broken world, which is only going to help you stay broken. When Jesus came, he came as your savior, he came as your healer, and he came as your king. He's the one who wants to put you back together, and he does it by his love. It's the love of Jesus, the love that he demonstrated as he bled and died for you and for me that gives us new life. It is that love that smooths out the rough edges in our relationships with one another. It's that love that can put the world back together. It's that love that can hold together a body of believers through hardships and trials for generations to come. It's that love that in the eyes of the world is so hard to define or express or understand, but that can be experienced by anyone that would come to the feet of Jesus and say, I want to be put back together. He is the surgeon, and only he can do the work. This is our message, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us, so that we could be forgiven of our sins by his grace, through our faith, and given new life because of this. Are you broken? Come to Jesus. Give your life to the healer who wants to make you whole. In a broken world, we exist to love God and to love others as Jesus has loved us. So to close today, I'm going to do it. We're, we'll run a little late, so just hang me for two more seconds. I think this is really powerful, okay? Because I want to read one last section to you. I'll just put it up here on the screen. I'll read it out loud. And this comes from John chapter 17. So this is in John's gospel. And he's writing the prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me the night before he went to the cross. And it goes on for 26 verses. And my encouragement to you would be to read it every single day this week, knowing that Jesus had you in mind before anyone else ever did. Before you even knew who he was, he knew you, and he was praying for you. And the section that I'm going to read to you, it comes right after he's done praying for the church. And this is what it says. 
My prayer is not for them alone, not just for the church alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in, in you, may they also be in us so that the whole world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. And to close, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Do you know what Jesus wants? He wants you personally. And he wants us as a church to be one, to be united with all of our broken pieces, with all of our rough edges. He wants us to be held together like he and the Father. And it's only done through the love of Jesus. He wants the world to know about this love the way that you know it, the way that I know it. And the only way that they're going to know it, the only way that they're going to believe in it, is that if we as a church continue every single day to exist in a broken world where we are fighting to love God and to love one another and to love others and to love all peoples as Jesus has loved us. Are you broken? Here's what you should do. Step one, come to Jesus. Step two, see step one. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God. God, we thank you that, Lord, the way you created us, God, you created us perfect. God, that you love life. You love people enjoying the fullness of life, God, and that it breaks your heart to see us in our suffering, to see the world broken, to see the world full of evil and cruelty and suffering. God, and we thank you that even because we are broken, that you sent your son Jesus to make a way for us to be put back together again, to be made whole. God, and I thank you that you have allowed us to exist in this broken world because there are so many that are still broken today. People that we love, people that we know, people that we work alongside of, and they're broken. And they're chasing after the world to try and find wholeness, to try and be put back together, and it's not working. God, I pray for them, but I also pray for your church here at Crossroads, God, that you would help us to step into this vision, to still exist in the broken world, but so that we can still love you and we can love others as Jesus showed us how to love people. 
And he modeled it by going to the cross and giving his life so that we could find forgiveness. Can I pray for anyone in the room right now who hasn't come to church in a while, who maybe hasn't come to church ever? God, who doesn't know you, who, who still feels broken? God, who, who is in a broken relationship with you? God, I pray that over the course of this next song, God, that they would come to you. They would come to you, that they would believe that you were the Son of God, that you are the Son of God, and that you did die for our sins, but that you were raised back to life three days later, defeating death and defeating sin once and for all. God, help us together to find wholeness and unity. Help us to be one by your love. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we close in worship?